1: Rick Flieger and
0: Rick Briggs.
1: Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Asylum Fantasy Sports Show from the on the Asylum Fantasy Sports Network and AsylumFantasySports.com. I am Rick Flieger flying solo tonight. Rick Briggs had his hair plug procedure done finally today. He won't be able to join us, so I'll, I'll take the reins today. We're going to do things my way. We're going to have a little bit of fun Hey, hit us up on Twitter, the Asylum Football Inside Slant coming Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Hopefully, with Mr. Briggs, certainly with Mr. Scott Fish, answering all your questions. Get them in now to get them in the mailbag at Asylum Football on Twitter, asylumfootball at gmail.com. Get them in this week, and we will be certain to get them answered on Sunday morning live on the air. You can also call in 646 478 4679. Thanks to all the Asylumites for their patience. Took the night off last night. It was Bucktober. Watch my Pittsburgh Pirates gag away. Another wild card opportunity. Shut out for the second year in a row by the hot pitcher. This could be the year. Back to the future might be right. That Cubs team looks like they are legit. So I am recording this here Sunday night, or Thursday night, excuse me. The Thursday night game just started, just kicked off. Texans driving down the field. Four or five big plays already for Arian Foster. It looks like he's back and healthy, and going to be the centerpiece of that offense. That can only mean good things for the Texans. So we're, we we got a, I got a lot to do tonight. It's going to be the usual show. I want to talk about these these Thursday night games a little bit off the top. Not a lot of headlines worth mentioning. Uh, Martavis Bryant coming back, I think, is the biggest story. We we might get into that at some point later in the show. Another two catches now for DeAndre Hopkins. I like to see that. I got to quit watching this game and, and do my radio show here. That's probably the biggest news, obviously. We know Andrew Luck out tonight. A little late to have a big discussion on that. But what I do want to talk about, and maybe it's getting tired. Maybe everyone's tired of hearing it. Maybe everyone's tired of talking about it. I love football. I love watching football. And having this game on Thursday night certainly is one more night to sit back and have a cold one and enjoy a game. But I don't think this is good for the game. It's certainly not good for your fantasy team. I don't think it's good for the game. And here's why I say that. This game's about the stars. If this game were to be played on Sunday, I think there's a chance Andrew Luck could have played. But you rush them. You're turning these guys around, and this, this is the argument everyone makes. I'm not breaking ground, but we're all about player safety now, right? That that's what we're all about. And you're turning them around on three days rest. You you, you look at a Steelers team. This may sound like sour grapes, and I'm going to have a talk about my experience at the Steelers Ravens Thursday night game last week. I'm going to do that at the end of the show because it's one of my rants. All of you all you guys hate, so <laughs> you could turn it off at that point. But but something I want to get off my chest. So if you're into that, uh, stick around for the end of the show. I'll get to that. But the, the Steelers going in that game, you lose Ben Roethlisberger. You have Michael Vick start. Now he certainly wasn't going to go, no matter when that game was played. However, now you give Michael Vick in a, a, a important franchise for the NFL, having to switch quarterbacks, three days to prepare. And we saw the outcome of that. You have an Andrew Luck who, if this game were to be played on Sunday, had a chance to go, one of your five or six most recognizable faces, I think, in the league right now, and he's not able to go because you're rushing out to get one more national network game in. It's terrible. It's awful. These games always stink, generally. I mean, we had the Steelers game. It it ended up being a, oh, and Ryan Mallett shocker throws an interception as they were driving down the field. Yeah, boy, if if this Texans team had a quarterback, now they have Foster back in healthy. DeAndre Hopkins doing what he's doing. J.J. Watt in that defense. The Houston Texans, if they could solve the quarterback uh, conundrum they have, this team would certainly have a, Great shot at winning that division, if not making a deep run in the playoffs. But I digress. I'm, I'm going to turn, turn away from this game for a minute. But these Thursday night games, it, the, the games generally stink, even if they're close or go into overtime like the one last week. They're not well-played games. I don't think that Steeler ravens game was particularly well-played. These guys are beat up. They're tired. You're missing guys who get nicked, who with a full week's rest could play. On three days rest, they just can't go. And I think the NFL's hurting their product, and that ties into my my hissy fit I'm going to have at the end. So let's get off of that. You guys you guys dialed this up here to AsylumFantasySports.com to talk some fantasy, and that's just what I'm going to do. So we all know what we do here, the midweek show, the big show. We do our game balls and our stinky socks. And the nice part this week, as Rick's out recovering from his uh, hair regeneration surgery, I get to do it all on my own so we can get a lot more in, and that's just what we're going to do. And I want to look at less about you you guys know how each of these individuals perform. What's it mean? What's it mean going forward to your team? It's time. There's been a lot of deals made, but now is really the time. Excuse me, choking up here. It's tough going <laughs> going all this time, one-on-one here. It's time to make some trades. It's time to hit the wire. What do do these performances this week and, and in the weeks prior mean to, to any specific individual? So I'm going to start out with some game balls here. Uh, the New York Jets this week on a buy along with the god-awful Miami Dolphins, and we'll get into them in the Stinky socks. Got to give a be- game ball to Chris Ivory. 29 carries, a buck 66 and a touchdown. When he's 100% healthy, which it looks like he was over in London on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon for, for them, I guess, he's been a real deal. And when they're not screwing around, trying to work Belil Powell in a bunch, and they just turn around and hand a rock to Chris Ivory, this kid puts up a lot of yards. He runs hard. This is a guy – He's a risky proposition. He's a risky start any given week. I grant you that. They have games where where they get away from him and and like to give it too much to Belil Powell. However, when he gets rolling, this guy's a perfect RB3 type of guy. You slide into a flex. He's a matchup play if you've got an RB2 with a bad matchup. Chris Ivory, I think, is the real deal. And if he can stay healthy, and that's been the if with him, I think he's a guy – going forward. He's the type of guy that can get you through the playoffs and win you a championship. Stinky stock? So- stinky the st- <laughs> <laughs> That that's uh what do you what what do you think of that, Rick? That that was pretty terrible. You know, now I'm talking to Rick, he's not even here. I'm an absolute mess. Oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just pathetic. Yeah, it was it was pathetic. A stinky sock, if I can say that. This guy deserves a gnarly, gnarly one. Yeah, Rick always comes up with the the way he gets them to that point. I'll save that for him once he gets back. But I want to stick with that game. Ryan Tannehill in so many ways. This game specifically, 19 for 44, a buck 98, two touchdowns, two picks. And quite frankly, he wasn't that good, <laughs> if, if if that makes any sense to you. He looks terrible. He looks lost. This Miami team, it is completely falling apart. Coach Philbin gone. This afternoon they fire the defensive coordinator after they basically have a team coup on the defensive side of the ball run him out of town. Tannehill smack-talking the the, the practice squad and (laughs) making fun of their salary. He looks for all the world like the guy who got the big money and then forgot how to play. I want no parts of Ryan Tannehill. I want no parts of the running game. Lamar Miller, where where are all you Ajayi guys at? (laughs) What happened there after that beating we took on him? I think Jarvis Landry, probably the only guy on that squad. I'll play week in and week out. He had a bad week last week, but they try to force the ball to him. They find lots of ways to get the ball in his hands. So I, I think he may be all right. But at this point, this, this Miami team has just become an absolute disaster, and you got to stay away from it. Another game ball. We talked a lot about this guy last week. T.J. Yeldon comes off a performance, finally gave him big carries, 22 carries, turned it into 105 yards, couldn't get in the end zone. Jacksonville couldn't get anywhere near the end zone. Now this is interesting. He was on—I don't know if it was this show or the Fantasy Sports Network show. Rick and I were—we're were doing a segment of uh, "You Sit Tight or Cut Bait," basically is what it was. And T.J. Yeldon came up in that conversation. I think we agreed—you hold on and you give him some time. He seems to be finding his way a little bit. I think he's a r- risky proposition each week, but—but but what he is is the number one guy there. Denard Robinson looks like he may be coming back. We'll we'll see what type of role he plays in the offense when he comes back. But this is T.J. Yeldon's gig, and he's getting better as the year goes on. I think certainly as a matchup play, although I'm never sure what a good matchup is for Jacksonville, like what I've seen out of Bortles, Allen Robinson tearing it up, just can't seem to find ways to score and finish games. You'd think the Bucks this week would be would be a nice matchup for him and for Jacksonville. But T.J. Yeldon, I think this is a, a good, a, again, a good three, RB3 flex type of guy. Situation will situational play. But if you're not deep at running back, I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to kill you. And I think things are heading in the right direction for T.J. Yeldon. So, uh, a big old game ball there for him. Let's head to New York. Shane Vereen, five carries, 21 yards. Nobody expected much out of him running the ball. What I find jarring, zippy catches, nada, zilch, the same amount of catches as Rick Briggs had this past week. That's concerning. That's his role. We get no less than 10 Shane Vereen questions a week. I'm in a PPR league. I have this underperforming running back. Do I want to plug Shane Vereen in? Name your guy, Doug Martin, who who we'll get to him later. But guys of that ilk, guys on the fringes a little bit. And you want to start Shane Vereen because what he can do in the passing game. I think this is going to be a common theme. I'm not sure he gets shut out a lot of weeks like he did this past week. This isn't a New England offense. Tom Coughlin isn't going to key in on a matchup with Vereen. It's not what Tom Coughlin does. They're going to push the ball down the field to, to Odell Beckham and, and now to Randall and if, God, if Victor Cruz could ever get back. They're going to employ a power running game with, with Jennings and Williams and any, I don't think you're going to see that one of those emerge as the number one guy. We, we get a lot of questions about that, and I ask myself that question a lot of time as a, somehow a Rashad Jennings owner across so many leagues, It it, it makes me sick. <clears throat> Shane Vereen doesn't have the role in this offense that he had with New England. He's a nice complimentary piece. I don't think you can trust him any given week. It was it two or three weeks ago. I think he had seven or eight grabs. He was targeted upwards of 10 times. I think that's more the anomaly. I, it's just not the way New York plays offense. It's not the way Eli runs his offense. And I think Shane Vereen for this week and for several weeks going forward is a big-time Stinky Sock candidate, and there's going to be stat lines like this. I think there's going to be a lot of also 2-3 and catch for 14-20 and and yard type of games that will kill you as well. Uh, He was a candidate for big catches and big yards in New England. Those days are over. They they just haven't adapted their offense to Shane Vereen's skill set, and I expect a lot of this going forward. <clears throat> Excuse me. Game ball. Boy, this guy pops his head up every now and again. He He's playing right now. Kobe Fleener, nine catches, 83 yards, one touchdown. After four weeks, three weeks, I'm sorry, of no one even knowing he was on the field. You wouldn't even have known he still played for the Colts. And this is where this guy's frustrating. He got drafted in every league. Most times is a two, uh, a tight end two. Good luck hitting the week that he's going to do this. He's going to do this three or four times. He's going to be a huge focus of the offense. This might have more to do with Hasselback. You know, too late now as this game started to talk about him for this week. But with that being said, not a guy I trust, but hats off to him. Nine for 83 in that touchdown there last week. And – yeah, hope he enjoyed it. I, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of that going forward. I'm going back to New York for my next stinky sock. Odell Beckham, after everything he did last season, he's had some eight games. He's been fine and been great. Last week, five catches, 38 yards. Four. Being a first round draft pick, or at worst, a very, very high second round draft pick, it's very well possible that OBJ is killing your squad. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're taking defenses are taking him away, if he's not getting open. He seems to be at least mildly mildly, I would say, in Coughlin's doghouse after after the little incident last week. I don't know if he can turn it around. This is a guy we saw for half a season. We all got excited, and me, me as well. I mean, this guy—he He didn't get the feet in bounds, but he made that catch—the catch we all know about. He made it again last week. This time he didn't get his feet down, didn't get anything in bounds, but he did it again. So he's got the greatest hands in the league, no question about it. I'll be curious to see what happens if and when Victor Cruz ever gets back, if that gives him a little bit more room, or if, quite frankly, if Ruben Randall continues to succeed. Does that help out Odell Beckham? But, but for this week and for several weeks so far this season, he's crushing you. And for that big old smelly stinky sock to Odell Beckham. Back over to the game balls. Now, we talked about uh, Kobe Fleener. I'm going to stay at the tight end position. And here's a guy, he's not getting talked about enough and just keeps putting up numbers with a young quarterback who's performing in over his head a little bit. How about Charles Clay? Nine catches, 111 yards. Didn't find the end zone this week. But this dude is making plays nonstop. He's scoring big touchdowns. He is a top option for a young quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, who, like I mentioned, is playing completely out of his mind right now, even after the bad loss last week. As you watch Jimmy Graham struggle, as you watch Travis Kelsey do what happens when you own any player in your league that's coached by Andy Reid, as you watch all these tight ends struggle, Week in and week out, Charles Clay's just getting it done. This is a guy. If you could go out and target in a trade and get him at the right value, this is a guy I want in my lineup every single week. Kid just gets it done. He just makes plays. Got great hands. He moves the ball in space. He makes big plays when he gets the ball in his hands. And Charles Clay, I think, is going to continue rolling and having a big season. And I think Charles Clay is going to be – we had such a hard time finding that fifth or sixth tight end. I think Charles Clay just might be that guy if he doesn't finish even higher than that, quite frankly. So, Stinky Sock. We'll stick at the wide receiver position. So we dealt with some injuries with this guy. Then we dealt with a real stinker. And then we dealt with saw a very nice solid game. And then another stinker, Mike Evans, three catches for 32 yards, while Vincent Jackson just went off with ten for a buck forty seven and a touchdown. And here's why I bring this up. Three for thirty two. He wasn't completely forgotten. He was he was targeted. He he got his looks. But what I fear is, as a Mike Evans owner in a lot of leagues, I bought in heavy into Mike Evans, that we're going to continue to see this. As Jameis Winston continues to be terribly, terribly inconsistent, as he goes through his growing pains that Marcus Mariota is yet to go through, I think he still may, as Jameis Winston tries to figure this thing out, I think there's going to be one matchup. He can find any given week and exploit. Two weeks ago, it was Mike Evans. This week, it was Vincent Jackson. And I think this is where Mike Evans could drive you crazy. There is every possibility this week. He's the main target guy, he's got the better matchup. He sees seven, eight, nine, ten catches. The matchup isn't there, if the matchup's better for Vincent Jackson. Or, frankly, if Jameis Winston's just throwing up all over himself, (laughs) which is indeed a possibility, then Mike Evans disappears. You can't cut bait. You got to have him in your lineup. I think if this is a guy you can move based on his name, based on his reputation, based on his potential for breakout, I think this is a guy I'd move and find a similar type of receiver, maybe even one a little less regarded but a little more consistent. I think you're going to see a lot of inconsistency out of Mike Evans. And I don't. it's not a Mike Evans issue. It, it's a Jameis Winston issue, granted, but that's what we're going to see. And, and Mike Evans, he's going to make you pull your hair out all year. What I do know is you can't have him on your bench most times unless you've got an unbelievable receiver squad. Because there's that potential week in and week out that he does what he did two weeks ago and and what Vincent Jackson did this past week. So, moving on back to the game balls, how about I stay in Tampa Bay? Got to give a nod Doug Martin. Finally, (laughs) four weeks into the year, after I spent the entire season, uh, preseason, and first couple weeks of the regular season screaming that Doug Martin was going to be the guy to turn it around. And not performing horribly, but but certainly underperforming and and not putting up the type of numbers you want to see that we want to see any given week from our our number two two running back, quite frankly. Doug Martin, 20 carries, 106 yards, touchdown. I think what sticks out here is the 20 carries. I think they made the running game a, a priority. You saw Sims. I think he was on the field 30-some plays. Doug Martin, had almost the exact same amount of plays they were on the field. They looked to establish the run. They worked the running backs into the game, made them a priority. Jameis Winston, as he threw up his four picks. I think this is something, again, there's going to be an inconsistency, but I think Doug Martin may have turned the corner. I think this, this may be the beginning of, of them giving him enough workload to to keep your team afloat, to keep their team afloat, quite frankly. And I think Doug Martin, he's going to have his 16 carries for 45- or 55-yard type of games, and he's going to crush your soul. But I think as an RB, I'm going to stick with him as a low two, as a high three for for Doug Martin. This is a guy you know, in the League of Consequence. I'm trying to make do some wheeling and dealing, but for right now, this guy's my number one back as I went uh, no running back in, in that league. And it's worked out. I'm sitting at 3-1. and one. And if Doug Martin can put together more more stretches like he had here in, in week four, I think things could pan out for me a little bit. So let's go back to the stinky socks. We just did Mike Evans. Now, now this one I just want to bring up. I really want to give the guy some dap more than I want to give him a stinky sock. But Julio Jones, after Atlanta got up about 84 to nothing halfway through the first quarter, he's been a little bit nicked up, didn't see the field, finished with only four catches for 38 yards. So for all us daily players who, who spent the $9,000 on Julio Jones, we want to give him and the entire Atlanta's coaching staff just a big old gnarly smelly sock for crushing us. This isn't a Julio Jones issue. I fully expect him if Washington – can keep it under 40 in the first half to see Julio Jones right back to what he's doing. But just a complete train wreck last week. Julio Jones goes off the field early and often and killed, killed Julio Jones' owners, especially in daily leagues. So, sorry, J.J., you got to take a stinky suck here. Four for 38, not good at all. Uh, moving on, uh, game balls. How about Martellus Bennett? 11 for 83 and a touchdown. How about what the Bears last week in general? I thought Oakland was going to go in there and knock him around a little bit. How about your boy Jay Cutler coming back and looking like a legitimate NFL quarterback last week? Do I expect it to last? Certainly not. Hey, there's no chance. <laughs> it's, it's not who he is. It's not who the Bears are. But I think it's who Martellus Bennett is. He's going to pay the price as Jay Cutler struggles. I, I fully understand that. But 11, 83 and a touchdown, boy, you'll take that any week out of your tight end. And uh, hats off to you, game ball, Martellus Bennett. All right, back to the Stinky socks, Melvin Gordon. It, it, this is coming a pretty familiar stat line with this cat. 12 carries, 38 yards. Losing work to Danny Woodhead. A complete inability. To finish a play, to get the ball across the goal line. I don't know about this kid. I don't know if I trust him any given week. He looks good when he's got the ball in his hand, quite frankly, and that's what's sort of frustrating with him. He, he looks like a good running back. You know what he looks like? He looks like my boy Ryan Matthews. I'll tell you what, Melvin Gordon isn't a guy I'm trusting at any point ever. I, I can't do it. If I'm going to have a San Diego running back, it's going to be Danny Woodhead. It's simple as that, especially in a PPR format. He's, he can be the focus of an offense. Melvin Gordon, I think he's going to have a good career in this league. I just don't think it's time yet. And so for that big old smelly stinky suck, Melvin Gordon, take a hike. All right back to the game balls how about the Andre Hopkins coming off nine for 157 I believe he's got three or four tonight Indianapolis just scored to make it seven nothing I didn't see who had it uh, how about that Andre Johnson welcome back to the league Andre Johnson with the short touchdown catch gives the uh, Indianapolis is the extra point looks like it's good it gives Indianapolis a 10 nothing lead Andre Johnson is alive stealing a catch uh, touchdown from either TY Hilton. Dante Moncrief, everybody's got uh, Andre on their waiver wires now. We're all going to rush out and pick him up. I'm not. Good good for him. I think that he could have some value there down around the goal line a little bit. He's just not enough part of this offense, so let's not overreact. But I, it's good to see. I like Andre Johnson. He's back in Houston. I think that may have something to do with it. It might have been a sneaky play this week for that reason had we had time. Had we done this show yesterday and had time to preview this, I'd have never had the stones to to recommend him as a start. But I think you knew he was going to get his opportunities to score in, in, in his longtime home of Houston. So so good for Andre Johnson there. But I'm talking about the Andre Hopkins of the Texans. This cat's getting it done. This cat's a stud. He was the very tail end of that number two tier of wide receivers. If your top tier was – was Antonio, was – who else, Who all was in that group? Antonio, I think, Odell Beckham was in that group. Demarius Thomas, Julio Jones, I think, was in that top group. Then there was that second tier of guys. And quite frankly, DeAndre, your A.J. Greens, your cats like that, your, your mid-second round receiver run that happened in every draft. And then DeAndre Hopkins seemed to be the one who slipped through a little bit. I own a ton. I think I own in, in PPR leagues, but in full season setting my lineup live draft leagues, I think I own four or five shares of DeAndre Hopkins. And I took a beating from, from, from my cohort here. Well, not here, at, uh, in the recovery room. From from other experts, from guys we've had on the show, you're not big believers in DeAndre Hopkins, and this, and for good reason—the the disaster they have at quarterback, be, being first and foremost the the unknown of after all we saw from him last season with Andre Johnson on the other side, could he do it as the number one guy? The answer is yes. He's getting it done. This guy is performing in the top five. Uh, of fantasy wide receivers. And if he had better quarterbacks and he had more opportunities to get in the end zone, I think this kid could finish there. But I think as the top option, he's going to keep getting... He's going to be a target hawk. And I think that stat lines like this aren't going to be out of the norm. And I think DeAndre Hopkins... As he, as he just makes another catch. I believe that's his fifth or sixth catch already here in the first half. I think DeAndre Hopkins sets up for, for a great season. And hats off to you, to you uh, DeAndre. Keep up the good work, especially for your boy here at the Asylum. All right, Stinky Sock. Right, how about how many uh, did we, guys did we all freak out and twist our shirts over our head and, and lose our minds after what Carlos Hyde did in week one? looking like a Jerome Bettis in his prime, and then it dude gone away. And he's nicked up. He's having trouble staying healthy. And he's just on that god-awful 49ers team with that complete and utter disaster that is Colin Kaepernick. And it's crushing him. If you're a defensive coordinator and you're game planning for the San Francisco 49ers, you have no fear at this point of calling Kaepernick. So I am loading up and taking away Carlos Hyde. I don't know who Carlos Hyde is. Is he what we've seen the last couple weeks? Is he Does he have the potential to maintain what we saw in week one? I don't know, and we're not going to know. We're not going to know because there is no fear. Of any other weapons on that offense, Vernon Davis, one of the biggest letdowns for me in the recent history of the NFL. Such a skill, skilled, physical freak that he is should be taking this league by storm like he did a couple years ago on their Super Bowl run before losing to the Ravens where he just took over playoff games. That's what I expect from Vernon Davis, and the cat can't maintain it. Getting little production out of the wide receiver position for for bringing in a Torrey Smith for bringing in an Anquan Bolden, I don't necessarily put it on those guys. I think it comes it comes down to this disaster, of Colin Kaepernick, and it's going to kill everyone's value to include Carlos Hyde. It's probably too late to move him. <laughs> you should have moved him after Week One. I big stinky sock this week. Terrible game. Only eight carries. I grant you, but if I'm a defense. If I'm a defensive coordinator, if I'm an opposing team, I'm going to make sure Carlos Hyde doesn't get rolling like he did against Minnesota in week one. And if Colin Kaepernick can find a way to beat me, then so be it. I'm going to take my chances with that. All right, we asked last week, uh, what do we make of Devontae Freeman? Is he the real deal? Can he do it again? Well, how about uh, 14 carries, 68 yards, three touchdowns, added five more catches for 81 yards. Wasn't even the leading rusher on the team as as he got sat down, as that game got further and further and further and further out of control. So right now, he's a good bet to average three touchdowns a week, right? I mean, no, obviously not. But I think he's established himself now. Tevin Coleman Campbell, whatever the hell his name is, is, it looks like he's healthy and he's going to be coming back. But Freeman's established himself as the number one guy here, and he's going to see a ton of work, and I think this kid's the real deal. I think those of you who drafted him middle eight rounds, you got the steal of the draft. This offense is rolling. This offense is good. This Falcons team does what one team in that NFC South does every year, has a complete and total 180. It flips completely around what they do. That's the Falcons this year. Freeman riding the wave going to keep seeing the ball he's going to see a ton of work both rushing and as you see being a big part of the passing game as well yeah i think freeman rolls and he ends up being the surprise that we look for every year at that position in 2015 it's going to be devontae freeman just the real deal uh excellent game congratulations game ball to devontae freeman all right we got to talk about it it has become absolutely obligatory cj anderson 11 carries, 43 yards, one catch for 27 yards. Probably, by the numbers, one of the best games he's had this season. Ronnie Hillman had over the 100 but had the big, long touchdown run. Similar type of carries again. I think this is where we're at. Coaching staff come out and said this week that C.J. Anderson still are starting running back. But Ronnie Hillman's going to see more work. I think this is, gonna, this is what you're going to get. I wondered. I spent so much time talking about it, and everybody's tired of hearing it. But I think we had to because I get fifteen calls, or not calls, but questions a week about this. And come the slant, we're going to get six or seven CJ Anderson questions on Sunday morning too. I thought, truthfully, while everyone knows that I was anti CJ Anderson and and begged you to avoid him in the off season, once Peyton Manning sort of took that offense over and told. Kubiak to take a long walk off a short pier and I'm going to run this offense out of the shotgun and do things my way. I thought that would benefit C.J. Anderson. It just frankly hasn't done it. I don't know what to tell you to do. Kids got so much talent. You can't play them until you see the turnaround, until you see a, a two to three week period of sustained workload, number one. Workload's very important. And then see what he's doing with that workload. I mean, here we are again under four yards of carry on the 11 carries he got. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if he's 100% healthy. He doesn't look it. He doesn't look quick. He's not hitting those holes the way we saw him hit last year. I'm not saying give up. You Certainly this isn't a guy you cut. You can't move him right now. He has no value whatsoever. Do you buy low on him? What are you going to give up? I don't know because it's got to be enough to attract – the, the other owner to make the deal but not enough to, to hurt your team or move anything off your team so yeah, I don't know, set him on your bench wait for him to happen, but once again you know, a better performance from, from him normally this performance wouldn't be enough to get you on the stinky sock list we have so many worse performances but just based on, on total total volume scope of work that we've seen this season. We've got to keep talking about it. So let's hop over. I'm going to do a couple more. I don't know if I'm going to get a full hour in today. This is tough. I don't know how exciting of a show this is. So I uh, go through a couple more, have a little hissy fit, and, and get on out of here. How about Jeremy Macklin? 11 catches for a buck 48. Game ball to him. This is two weeks in a row of this. So what do we make of this? Again, he's coached by Andy Reid, so I always worry about that. He plays for the Chiefs, so he had the touchdown there two weeks ago. He somehow goes 11 for 148, doesn't somehow doesn't find the end zone last week. I think that's going to be pretty standard. But I think Jeremy Macklin might be the real deal. I think you, you're seeing you're seeing Alex Smith get the ball down the field more. It's not exciting, it's not pretty, but they're finding ways to get Jeremy Macklin the ball. This is a guy. Quite frankly, I wasn't too thrilled about. Would still make me nervous any given week, but he's done it for two weeks, and I think you could see stat lines like this. Now he could go out and lay an egg any given week, and you can blame Alex Smith. You can blame another week on Andy Reid. There's going to be times where Jeremy Macklin could go out and lay an egg. But this is a guy you've got to have in your lineup each and every week. It is back to back double double digit reception games, double digit or back to back hundred yard games. I think he could keep doing it. They finally have a weapon. Alex Smith finally has a weapon, unlike he's had at any point in his career at Kansas City, and, and gives some balance and, and could open things, some things up for Jamal Charles. So uh, hats off, kudos, Jeremy Macklin. How about Brandon Cooks? How about that whole New Orleans offense? Yeah, I understand Drew Brees is probably limited. They weren't working down the field as much as you would generally expect. A Drew Brees-led team to do as he gets healthy and gets healthier. But just for the year, Brandon Cooks, been a real disappointment. Four catches, 25 yards, Ugh, kill you. This is a, a deep threat, a guy you expected to be a deep threat. Now, the the entire New Orleans offense is struggling, but Brandon Cooks just hasn't emerged to, to what we thought he could and, and should be, quite frankly. So, moving on, I'll tell you what, last one we're going to do this, and uh, I want to have my, my my rant, and then I'm going to get out of here, go uh, watch it as it looks like Indianapolis and Matt Hasselbeck are just going to blow the door off the Texans. I may listen back to this tomorrow, but as we are early in the second quarter just driving the ball at will on the Texans' defense and the Texans' offense unable to move the ball <clears> – <throat> How about uh, take your pick, game balls here, Duke Johnson, Todd Gurley. Duke 9 for 85 and a touch. eighty-one. That's it through the air. Eight carries, 31 yards. That's big. And that could be big for Cleveland if they stick with this and, and use him in that role as a pass catcher, as a change of pace back. And these are numbers he could put up consistently as they play behind. And as you, if you can get this kid the ball in space. Now the Browns, being the Browns, I don't know if they're going to stick with this, but keep an eye on this. Duke Johnson, he he's probably snatched up in most of your leagues. If you got Duke Johnson on your bench, monitor this. This guy's looking more and more like an every week flex, specifically and most importantly in a PPR format. And what do we make of Todd Gurley? Finally busts out. Finally gets a big workload. Nineteen carries, one hundred forty-six yards. Here's what I know. I'm going to enjoy the ride right now. He, you worry about him getting hurt. and He's got two ACLs. That, that's a huge concern. Just getting back, just working into it. But what I also know, if he's healthy, if he's performing this way, Fisher will find him a horse and he'll ride him. And Todd Gurley may be that guy. I think they're going to limit his workload to a degree to try and keep him healthy. He hasn't played football for a while. Don't know what kind of shape he's in. So I don't think you're going to see 25, 30, 35 carries. I don't think you're going to see that out of many, if any, backs in this league. But this is what this kid's capable of. This is why they traded up. This is why he got drafted early in the first round, even with all that injuries. And and it's exciting to see him finally sort of bust out a little bit. And th- this guy, I think, is rapidly on his way to him and could be a huge part. If you drafted him early and you were patient, I think the payoff might be coming. So that's it. Let's get off of that, all those game ball socks. I'll, I'll save all the starts and sits, all that type of stuff, for the slant on Sunday morning. So one last thing, and I, I appreciate everybody listening. Probably not as exciting as it normally would be with, with, with me and the the old man screaming at each other. Oh jeez, <laughs>
0: that, that's just pathetic.
1: There, a, a little a little taste of him for for everybody that missed him terribly. Something I just want to talk about. Something I want you to think about. add Asylum Football on Twitter, Asylum Fan Asylum at Gmail dot com. I want to give you. I want your thoughts on this. I, I wish I was doing this live. Maybe we could get some interaction. But but I'm not. So so here it goes. I think the NFL might be in trouble. Not short term, but long term. And, and here's why. I went to that Thursday night uh, Ravens at Steelers game, and I've got to tell you as a football fan as a diehard football fan as a sycophant quite frankly which isn't that where fan comes from i think the game day experience is completely and utterly unbearable and as fantasy football grows and grows as innovations and everything going on with how this game is presented on television gets better and better. I find myself sitting there, if that was a Sunday, number one, I wouldn't have been there because I want to watch the red zone. I want to watch the the direct TV, the ticket, and watch nine games at a time. I want to do that. It being a Thursday night game, it being a one-off uh us not doing a show generally on thursdays you know I, I identified that as a game to go to and you know first of all and 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 thanks thanks to a friend i didn't pay for it but if you look at the the sticker price on a ticket and if, if you look at the secondary market it's ungodly expensive it, disgustingly and ridiculously expensive that's number one Number two, it's a nightmare getting anywhere. These stadiums are all in cities. The, the traffics, the crowd, we all get that. That's fine. That, that's that been like that forever. But the game day experience, especially in today's NFL, especially in a nationally televised game where TV timeouts are longer and you can tell when we review every single play, you don't notice it as much at home. It's, a, it's but annoying, and I think we all realize that. But when you go to commercial, when you can get up and you walk away, and when you can flip the channel to the red zone, when you can look into another game, you don't notice it as much. When you're trying to watch an NFL game live in the stands and everybody's standing around, when you're in that stadium for three and a half or four hours and 50% of it is spent with, with people standing around, waiting for the guy in the goofy green glove or orange glove to come out and wave his arm that we're back to com- from commercial and we can actually play or we're going to review something down to the last inch because we've gotten that ridiculous and we're watching everybody stand around all game. It, it's about unbearable. So, so th- that's number three. Number four, I think we've gotten to the point, and I've gotten there, where the true football fans, fans of football, legitimate fans of the team aren't attending these games, these games are now almost exclusively the domain of complete and utter scumbags. And I'll say it as a Steeler fan, two Steeler fans, fans specifically, I've been to a lot of stadiums, you know, obviously Heinz Field, I've seen games in Cleveland. I've seen games in Cincinnati. I've seen games in Buffalo. I've seen a game in Baltimore. I've seen a game in Atlanta. Based on that sample size, Pittsburgh Steelers, live audience, live fan base, you're the biggest scumbags in the league and as a general fandom. The behavior, the the drunkenness, the obnoxiousness, the cursing, the carrying on, the nonsense. All of it happens in every stadium all around the country I'm confident of. But in my short six or seven different stadium tour that I've had, it's by far the worst in Pittsburgh. This is the second time in my life. It doesn't sound like a lot. I've been to a lot of games, Grant you. But the second time at a Steeler game i've watched a man put his hands on a woman out of anger and it disgusts me and even the local media they've got the local uh, wtae news site has it up on their site they're proud of it they don't highlight that part of it we can't talk about that but it's the typical you got the one ravens fan with his girlfriend i don't know how it started but and I saw it live. It, it was two sections over and down from me, so I could see it clear as a bell. But I don't see it till everybody stands up and cheers because we're so excited that, that somebody's about to get gang beat because that that that's what we love, I guess, as a nation now. And by the time I see it in the video or saw it live, they're jawing back and forth. The Raven fan with the Steeler fan who's about fifty-five years old and looks like a professional. But so drunk off his ass. He, he's a tough guy now. And he gets pushed from behind because that's what we do. And he turns around to confront him. And then the guy behind him punches him in the head, pulls him down, holds him down, rips his jersey off. His girlfriend now is trying to pull him out of the fray. So I see another man grab her and start shoving her around and knocking her around. And in a pool they take, of course, the Ravens fan and his girlfriend out and everybody cheers and makes fun of them. Just scumbags. You're all scumbags. But I say all that to get to a point where the true football fan, as this game day experience becomes more and more unbearable, isn't there. Now this is the domain of the party guys, the guys who want to go to the game and get so blasted drunk that they have no clue what's going on and carrying on. They think they're Steeler fans. They think they're football fans, be it – I'll take this away from the Steelers now. It's just my experience, and I'm sure this goes on all around the league. The people in the stands think they're fans, but they're not. They're fans of the live experience. of any, It could be anything going on down there. These people don't care. So what I wonder is, as this game becomes more and more visual in terms and presented for television as a television reality show – and less and less of a live sport, a live sporting event. Quite frankly, I've made the decision, if I don't have a press credential, if I'm not in the box somewhere, which I don't think I'm anywhere close to quite yet, you know, I got credentialed as media by the Steelers this year, and every time I uh, request a game credential, they tell me to pound it, which doesn't surprise me. But other than that, as a fan, I refuse to attend another NFL game specifically and certainly on a Sunday, as I care about what's happening in the whole league, not just with one specific team. So can, with everything else going on, as we learn more and more about concussions and the devastating effects this gladiator sport, which it is, has on these men going forward, do we see it go the way of the dodo there? Do you see it as this presses on? Can the team sustain with just TV money, as I believe... I think you're going to see attendance continue to fall. You're going to lose the people who are interested. The real fan doesn't want to be in the stadium anymore, I don't think, by and large. Because the real fan gets swallowed up, eaten alive, cursed at, spit on, and all of this by the fan who generally attends a game, by the scumbags who inhabit every NFL stadium around the league, the drunken jackasses all over the country, who these are the folks going to the games right now. And I just wonder what this means for the league going forward. Is there enough TV money? I think there probably is to sustain this, as I think you see more and more people dropping off. I can tell you this. There was a time in my life Good or bad, when they were in bad stretches and it got even harder as they become a perennial Super Bowl contender again, you couldn't think about a Steeler ticket. Now they're few and far between, but you can hop on Ticketmaster and buy a ticket to a Steeler game the week or two leading up to the game depending on game time and opponent. That's unheard of. If that's happening here in a smaller stadium in a strong, hungry market for this team specifically – as you watch the underperforming teams in other cities who can't fill up stadiums, who, where we're looking at blackouts, where they're faking sellouts down in Washington, but they continue to take seats away, what does this mean for the league? Can it survive almost strictly as a television show? Because as the game day experience gets worse and worse and worse at the stadium, Because even if you can avoid all the scumbags, you got to get into the stadium around them. And it's the way then, because of these people, it's the way everybody within the stadium behaves. You, You can't take a kid with you. Because they're dealing with so many scumbags all day, you got the ushers treating you like garbage. You have security treating you like garbage. You have the vendors treating you like garbage. Irregardless of your behavior, but because of the piss-poor behavior of everybody who's come before you, the entire experience is unbearable. So the question I wonder, at Asylum Football, AsylumFootball at gmail.com, Can the NFL survive strictly as a television event, as a television show? Because I think that's the way it's going As this game day experience gets worse and worse and worse, and the people within the stadium, as it gets more accessible and cheaper, get worse and worse and worse because football fans like me and football fans like you who care about the game and want to see the game, and as they're pushed away, as they're turned off about it, as they're further and further away from the game. I'm curious, do you believe, number one, it goes that way, as I believe it does? And number two, can it survive in that environment? And number three, is there anything teams can do to fix it? You know, I don't want to police behavior. I don't want to police fun. I don't want to say, you know, you can't have some beer. And you get hammered for all I care. But the behavior has gotten so bad, and men putting hands on women, and, and cursing and carrying on and fighting in front of children. It, it's disgusting. And it's going to push the average fan, true football fan away. So at asylum football, asylumfootball at gmail.com, do you see it this way, number one. Can the league survive strictly as a television show? Number two. Or if you just think I'm a complete a-hole, you can shoot that out too. So I'll tell you what, that's it. We got almost 52 minutes out of it. Not not too bad. So, hey, I appreciate everybody joining in. Hopefully we can get uh, Rick in Sunday for the slant or next week. Almost got that business open, ready to go. He's got his top hat and his monocle dusted off and ready to go. So hopefully we get him back real soon. Uh, make uh, Get us screaming at each other again because we all know that's why you really tune in. So here we go. Saturday, 1 o'clock Eastern. Replayed at 9 o'clock Eastern. FantasySportsNetwork.com. Cablevision Channel 147. And, and cable, net, cable uh, divisions all over the eastern seaboard. Canada, the northeast. Check all of that out. Saturday, 10 a.m. Me, hopefully Rick Briggs, certainly Scott Fish. AsylumFantasySports.com blog talk radio the inside slant an hour and a half answering your questions up to the date info stats start sits everything you need join us then 10 o'clock at silentfantasysports.com blog talk radio otherwise if nothing else i'll be back here next wednesday live eight o'clock at the site and on blog talk until then i'll see you
0: Skinny, it and bass fishing Take it easy on the shine Stay away from other boys, women That's one damn good way for me